I want you to do this a little exercise with me before we get into today's episode. If you had a podcast and you were to invite a guest on your podcast that has had a profound impact on your life, but couldn't be a family member or a close friend, let's say like a childhood friend, who would you invite on the podcast? I would love to know. I'm also very curious because in doing this exercise and thinking about, wow, who are the people that have really you know, changed the course of my career? Today's guest <laughs> has absolutely done that for me. And here's the thing, when you're an entrepreneur, you're starting your own business, you're doing your own thing, you kind of lose sight of big milestones because you're just trying to get through every single day as they come. So you don't think about the bigger picture, but we all need to give ourselves some gratitude and just think about the last year that we've gone through. We've gone through so much collectively and we've probably grown so much and we're maybe not even giving ourselves a pat on the back for that. And this woman on today's podcast has been instrumental in my career as an entrepreneur. And I can say that so confidently. Um, when I was doing double duty, working my corporate job last year as a VP of marketing, and then on the side, I was running my business. I had been referred to this organization called Dreamers and Doers. I was so excited because at the time I was like, I didn't even realize that these like female founders communities like had even existed. And I was just elated to come across something that really spoke to me. And then when I got to meet the founder of this organization, Dreamers and Doers, her name is Geisha Haas and that she's our guest for today. I was just dumbfounded. I was so excited to meet her and just also so impressed by her experience and the way that she was able to bring this community of female founders together so that everyone could help each other. When I tell you that Geisha's changed my life and Dreamers and Doers has changed my life, I'm really not exaggerating. I have met lifelong friends through this organization. I've gotten unbelievable PR opportunities in Business Insider, Create and Cultivate, like unbelievable opportunities. I spoke at AdWorld this year because of a post that happened where they were looking for speakers within the group. I owe so much of things that have happened in my career as an entrepreneur to date to this organization. And I am forever grateful for Dreamers and Doers. And I just want to say thank you to Geisha for building this incredible community. And I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today because she is going to give you the inside scoop, how she ended up starting Dreamers and Doers, what her path was like. And it's fascinating because so many of the entrepreneurs that we have on this podcast, their paths are so different than what they end up doing. So if you feel a little lost, if you feel like maybe you're on a path that isn't the path that you want to be on long term. I just want you to know that it's totally okay and it happens to so many people and you can still be whoever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. And I think Geisha is just such a beautiful testament to that. So I am so excited to have her on the podcast. She has changed my life. Dreamers and Doers has changed my life. And I can't wait for you to just hear her story and learn and grow from her. So I hope you love today's episode and I will catch you guys on the flip side. Point in case. So I just, I just stopped doing it. I want to know what did you want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be a farmer. Oh, no way. <laughs> I was convinced I remember that I told my grandpa and just I told other adults about it and I just couldn't understand you know why they had the reaction you had like why everyone thought it was so funny that I wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> 
I guess like I've never, well, it could have been vlogger. That's like the popular one right now or influencer, right? With a lot of kids, that's what they're saying. But farmers is, I actually admire that because farmers work really hard. They're hard workers and they have a lot of grit. Yeah, I just really loved animals and I was excited about getting to do stuff, but I probably also at age seven didn't fully realize everything that it would entail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then what was the turning point when you considered, I maybe want to head a different direction? Like, were you in high school, maybe learning something or was it in college or after school? I was actually the person that didn't quite know what she wanted to do. So even mm-hmm. when I went into to, to study my degree, I applied from anything to, from biotech, engineering to business, applied for colleges in Singapore, Hong Kong, the UK, and then ended up studying what I studied, which was a dual degree in business and a minor in China studies because I got a full scholarship. So it kind of just fell into things. And I think I've had that pattern of I'm pretty good at connecting dots, but sometimes I need like something ahead of me. And similarly, I started out working in finance first and partially because I was like, hey, it seems like it's harder to get into finance, at least at that time. I'm not sure if that's still accurate. I hear they have a really hard time hiring right now. But maybe I can start with finance and go to something else later and kind of fell into a, a hedge fund job out of college. I think I always, deep down though, like had this desire to be an entrepreneur because I love you know doing and love being independent. But I don't think I actually had the courage to believe I could when I was a bit younger. And maybe because no one in my family is an entrepreneur. I think it was one of those situations, but I definitely feel like I'm living the dream that I wanted to always have. That's amazing. And what about people that you admired growing up? Like, who did you look up to and what did you learn that you feel like today you still take with you? I definitely looked up to my grandpa. He was an interesting fellow. I will have to add that he thought I was smart. And because of that, thought he was making me a compliment and said, you're smart. I think one day you can be the secretary of a very important man. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's obviously not why I admire <laughs> <laughs> but it's just funny to to hear that and yeah and it's just ironic he was a businessman and he defied many many odds and so that was always just really impressive seeing like how much he was able to achieve mm, that's awesome i love that i mean you know what when they see a certain traits in someone secretary is still you know what does that say that says that you're organized you're able to stay on top of things you know let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey you had this instinct and maybe gut feeling of considering it what was the final moment when you when you just decided decided that you were going to go for it? So first I was in finance for five years um, at the hedge fund and I kind of liked it and I didn't like fully love it, but I knew it wasn't like fully my thing until I discovered the startup world. And it was actually the startup called Grouper. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. it I was remember them, yeah. group dating side, three guys. And yes. three but I stumbled across that and was obsessed with it, just like obsessed with the startup world and mm-hmm. obsessed with that company. And I frankly, like probably, I'm not sure if harass is the right word, but like, like stalked the company and like <laughs> all the team members. And like after like, six months got hired and that's when I quit the finance world but that to me mm-hmm. was the beginning of entrepreneurship I was mm-hmm. at that company for maybe six months it didn't end up being like the best fit so left and that's when I had the courage to then start my own thing because I was like I don't have a finance job I don't have a startup job I might yeah. as well do this entrepreneurship thing and it was gut-wrenching at that time because even though I had a background in finance I had a background in startups a little bit at 
place and nothing prepares you for starting something from scratch. And this is when I accidentally started my current company, which is called Dreamers and Doers. And um, we need to know about this accidental, yeah, situation. I feel like most people are like, I knew from the start. We don't get a lot of accidentals here. Very accidental. It it found me. My idea found me, not my idea, not I found my idea. And it was, Mm. it would love to give you this like amazing founding story. But what it was, was me getting brunch with one other female friend. And we were both working on our own things. And we both had a very similar situation where our friends and family couldn't relate. They're like, why you have this, like had this high paying job before? Why are you doing what you're doing? We just wanted to talk about work because we had existential fears. We cared so much about our dreams and all our friends just wanted to talk about other people or, you Mm. know, do other fun things in New York city that didn't involve working on weekends. So we met on weekends at brunch and we worked, we supported each other. We would even call each other out when we caught saying like, Hey, I'm just working on this project. We're like, no, you're working on a company. And two people became three people became four people became five people. It was the one thing I couldn't stop working on. So even though I had a few other business ideas that I was exploring, Dreamers and Doors was the one thing that was my kryptonite and that I kept investing Mm. in consistently. And a few other people were like, Hey, you should work on this full time. And I was like, no, it's a community. It's not a business. And then a year into it, it had taken off so much and was taking up so much time that I either had to go all in or I had to stop working on it just because it wasn't compatible with other things. And I decided I had to go all in just seeing what an impact it was having on the women who are part of it. And also for me, I just, I just cared so much about what we had built. And what was the motivating underlying motivating factor for you? Was it I'm building something unknown is motivating to me? Or was it I want to serve and elevate women? What was your first guiding North Star that just kept you going? I think there's two. So the less strong one was first just this huge desire to create. And I think this desire to create is what led me to Dreamers and Doers. And what had me continuing to invest in Dreamers and Doers and was the one thing I couldn't stop working on was caring so much about the other women and just seeing Mm. the need and that like I felt needed or what I was building felt needed and that's why I couldn't stop working on it. I think we don't talk enough about perseverance because ideas are cheap they say right like in some of the ideas I had and I was tinkering with like are now full-blown startups. I'm not saying I could have started those startups because there's obviously Mm -hmm. a lot more that goes into it but at least Mm -hmm. quote unquote it wasn't a bad idea right but Mm -hmm. it was a bad idea for me because I could couldn't stop working on it. I believed in the market demand and all of that, but Dreamers and Doers was where I felt emotionally attached. And with every being, I couldn't stop working on it because I just saw it needed to exist. And if I didn't continue, and this wouldn't exist the way I had envisioned it. Wow. It's so powerful. I have chills right now. <laughs> so when you're creating this, what is the type of feedback that you're getting from people and how are they f- coming across Dreamers and Doers? Did you pull together a marketing plan or did you just let it happen organically? It happened organically, especially because it was supposed to be a business and mm. we winked a lot of it. It was organic because um, I think for one, like I am a natural, just people's person, even though I'm introverted, but I'd meet someone be like, Hey, you have to be part of this. And, and people would, would also like pass it on to them. I will say with feedback and especially for communities, sometimes it's important to not get too much feedback because in the early days when I finally decided, okay, I want to work on this a little more, I gathered, you know, this dinner and had everyone, you know, submit information and we did all these surveys and that was when I got the least done because the opinions mm. were all over the place. And I'd then invest more in the opinions than what my gut instinct was. And after I noticed that I was just spinning my wheels, I was just like, I obviously care about every single member, but I'm just going to do what I think is right. And this is not because I don't care about them, but because I want this to move forward. And mm. obviously it wasn't a fit maybe for every single person, but that's the only time we were able to really move forward and build something of value. I think we need to trust ourselves as entrepreneurs and as creators that we do have a gut instinct 
point and we have something to add. And it's actually not a bad thing if a lot of people disagree. Some of the biggest companies, if you look at the, into their founding journeys, like so many people thought they were crazy or even just you need to like trust yourself and also go a little bit against the grain. I love that advice because you talked about your family earlier and then you have friends. I feel like every entrepreneur goes through a very similar path of their family, especially parents or grandparents that are from different generations, yeah. really wondering, is this, are you sure that that's the, the right thing for you? And then friends who work full time saying, well, what about, are you sure you don't have that security, like that backup? Yeah. And it's hard to combat that because once someone seeds that thought, it's really hard to fight it or like you don't want to listen to it. But I do think following your gut, at least seeing something through the perseverance of it is the most critical part of really success. Because I think a lot of people have ideas that they could have acted on that they just let fall to the wayside. Totally. And with the feedback of um, family members and friends, like they care about you, right? And they mm -hmm. want the best for you. And that's why it's sometimes even harder than for people yes. who really don't care about you. And I remember with my boyfriend at that time, like we were living together and I obviously, there were times that like, I wasn't having an income or I was still figuring things out. And we had to set up a rule. I was, this idea, what I'm working on is still in such infancy. It's so vulnerable and I am so vulnerable. So if we have conversations once a week talking about me defending it and why it doesn't make sense, um, I won't be able to mentally succeed, but this idea will definitely not work out. So we just, we just <laughs> then I'm definitely it. dumping you. <laughs> um, yeah, we ended up I mean, seriously. Up, not for that. We yeah. actually worked together <laughs> long enough for him to see it um, become profitable, for him to just be like, I, I understand now, but he was less risk averse, at least in that mm. sense, that we just had different visions and we had to institute that rule of not talking about it. Yeah. Did you use uh, your gut instinct to guide what Dreamers and Doers was going to be? And maybe when I, when I ask that, maybe for those listening, let's give like a little bit of background as to how Dreamers and Doers comes to life. Yes. So I'll give an yeah. overview of what Dreamers and Doers is today so that they have context and then um, how Perfect. we got there. Yeah. It is a private collective for entrepreneurial women. And we define that quite broadly. So it could be founders as well as investors, women in startups. So basically anyone who doesn't have a regular nine to five and who can really benefit from a strong network. And we offer three things. One is thought leadership opportunities and authentic connection and access. So we have an editorial team in place that provides um, visibility and press opportunities. And then curation is like so much of our secret sauce. So we curate both for personality and pedigree. So they need to be values driven and impressive, but that makes such a difference because that authentic connection part, like I think for women is even more important than men because by emphasizing the personal side, we actually supercharge the professional side. And I also wanted to run a company where it's not transactional because even if you focus on giving, if you don't actually get to know other people, it becomes transactional. And I wanted to be around people that I actually want to spend time with. So many of our members, they left corporate careers to be more true to themselves. So, so much of it is embracing the whole part. And as women, more important more than men, the personal side, like if I'm ever planning on having kids, I need to account for that in my work planning because there's no way a kid will suddenly show up and it won't impact my work. Mm -hmm. um, so that's it very roughly in a nutshell. And how we got there wasn't as intuitive. So basically a few things needed to happen for me to find my intuition. First, I did the more traditional startup approach because that's all that I saw in TechCrunch. That's all that all my male friends were talking about. Yeah. And that's all that I saw on social media. What that meant for us is we had a tech a CTO. She's still a member. She's amazing. And we're building out our own tech platform. We were invited also to Y Combinator and interviewed with them. And that was actually the turning point because when we're preparing for the pitch, clearly they are more of a traditional venture capital money in many ways. So the pitch was very much prepared. Like how can we grow at all costs? Basically how are we, the numbers going to show and all of that. And it just felt so wrong. We also didn't get in. Mm. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I realized because it was a little bit of a rock bottom and I'm like, but it wasn't rock bottom because we didn't get in. It was more of a rock bottom for like trying to fit into this mold that didn't fit right. So I dropped everything in my life to work on this full time, not because of I wanted to have this like high growth company, but because 
I genuinely cared about the women. And obviously, I still want to build a thriving company. But first and foremost, I cared about who was in the community. So with that, what we did, we scrapped our plans, our tech solution, and instead leveraged existing technology. And we also monetized early to prove out that what we were building was actually wanted and needed. Because I didn't want yeah. to invest so much of myself into something that people weren't actually willing to invest in. And I think that's a really good measure of creating value. And I recommend that to a lot of entrepreneurs because people can say like, oh, I want this. But if they aren't willing to put in money behind it, like, are you really building something that is wanting? Oh, that's good. Um, fast forward from there, we've had lots of iterations. And even today, we're constantly evolving. It has really served us to leverage existing technology. It's obviously a lot less fancy. When I was still living in New York, if I go to a tech event and people like to size you up, like how much have you raised? How many employees do you have? Where's your office? And I couldn't compete on these things. But yeah, I'm like so size you up in the traditional context. That is really one facet of success. It's not yes. the full picture. Yeah. Yes. There are so many companies in our space, for lack of a word, that were really big in the media that have raised lots, millions and millions of dollars that have imploded not too long ago or that were in the press with negative press. It, I think it's just so important. Like negative things will always happen, right? Entrepreneurial journey, anytime you're trying to wreck the status quo, you're going to have friction, right? So might as well find something that is truly aligned with your values so that mm -hmm. when the shitstorm happens, you mind a little bit less because you know why you're doing this. So in our case, obviously, like the hard stuff in our case is we don't have as many res resources because we haven't raised and all of that. And we're growing like slightly slower, but we're growing every year. We've grown every quarter we grow, but, but slow and steady. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not the overnight that everyone touts in the media as being overnight success. Yeah. I, so I want to give my personal account of Dreamers and Doers because for those of you listening, full transparency, I've been a member for a year now. It's kind of crazy. I joined during a time in my life when I was very confused because I had filed for my LLC two months prior, but I was still working my full-time job and fully anticipating that something was going to happen. And I knew I was going to leave eventually. I just didn't know how it was going to happen. A month after I joined Dreamers and Doers, the company that I was at offered voluntary severance for anyone that wanted it. And so I raised my hand and I was like, this is it. You know, this is the time I'm ready to go. But I've met the people that I've met through Dreamers and Doers. It's, it's really changed my life. I mean, truly, even just this morning, someone that I've known now in the community for probably since I joined just sent me an email and was like, Hey, let's do virtual drinks. And it's so fun. And it's just so, I really feel like the connections that I've made in the community, I feel like are people that I'm going to be friends with for life. It's kind of crazy. And I, I never would have said that before. I think when I started my journey, I don't think I ever would have thought when I joined that it was going to be as transformative as it has been, but the people in the community are so high quality. I would not be here for sure without it. And I'm just so grateful for it. But that's a testament to you too. I think the work that gets done behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see and the work that goes into building and managing and evolving a community that is the real behind the scenes work, the tough stuff. It's it's so tough and so rewarding at the same time. But And I think there's obviously lots of different flavors of community, but ours is really like a high touch community. So mm -hmm. from our curation, we, for example, only accept members once a quarter. Um, so yep. sometimes people will like apply just when we've accepted members and they have to wait like a whole three months. Yeah, I remember that. I actually remember that when I applied because I was like, maybe I just didn't get in. Like I remember thinking that and just being like, well, maybe I'll try again, you know, next year. Because I just remember yeah. being so excited for it because I actually found out from Trends, which is another community that Geisha and I are a member of, are members of. And I remember posting, I think I had posted, like I really want to connect with other female entrepreneurs, but I don't know where to go. And they had responded <laughs> with Dreamers and Doers. And so I was like, oh, this is great. And I remember 
applying and then just being like crickets and then being like, shit, I didn't get in. And I'm like, what do I need to do? Cause I was like, this place <laughs> looks so cool. <laughs> and, hear that because I mean, yeah. with everything, right? Like there's doubt, like our biggest strengths is our biggest weakness, right? Like, so it's yeah. a strength. We only accept members once a quarter because then we can really invest in the onboarding. We can invest in well, the that's just it. In, in right. all of that, make sure it's a really great experience. And we also only accept a certain number of members every quarter, but of course, then I'm sure we lose some people because of that, right? We're like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't relevant anymore or they don't want to wait that long. But on the flip side, we also get people who really want to be there, right? Like who are willing yes. to wait and then who are hopefully excited by the time that they do get to join. I so actually yes, like it because you think about joining a Facebook group and you have to follow the like little prompts or whatever to join, you know, and then you're in and then that's kind of it. But I actually like the waiting period because it makes it. And then when you join, you really do feel this like warmth of the community. Everyone is there to support you and everyone genuinely wants to get to know you. And so it's so much different than a normal community. I feel like where people are just like, okay, hi, thanks for tagging me in this like (laughs) long post with 40 names, you know, and then that's it. You're just like, that's it. You're done. It feels really special. It it has both pros and cons because sometimes I am even like, when I see that in other communities, I'm like, oh, that just looks so much easier. (laughs) I mean, definitely easier. (laughs) For the person being onboarded and for the other person, but it's just like, and that's why it's so important to know your why and how you want to do things. And at the end of the day, like I I love saying it's like turning a bug into a feature, right? And Mm. that's why we try to really message it. Hey, like, you know, some things are worth waiting for and this is why we do it. But yeah, so anywhere from like how often we accept members that we have, we have a really long application. I'm sure we lose some people that would be amazing. But then again, we get the people who, um, we can first of all, tell if they're amazing or not. There's a higher chance because they fill that more information. Plus they actually want to be there and it's part of the audience. And then once they are there, we really try to guide them to a certain behavior because one and the same person might be part of multiple communities like you and I both are. But sometimes Mm. we show different behavior in different communities, depending on what the guidelines are, depending on how other people show up. So we really try to show members how what the expect, expected behavior is and how we can t- turn mutual support into a competitive edge because that's like our, our goal is mm-hmm. making the pie bigger for everyone involved so like by having one plus one can equal 100 and we do that through that curation but also by setting a certain expected behavior that has members like really contributing to each other while also setting boundaries but there's lots of micromanaging like once in a while like i'll have to me- message someone and coach them a little bit and always say like oh my god totally you know understand but like it takes a little bit of finesse i'm over it and for better or worse i'm the kind of person like i'll, I'll sometimes wake up in the middle of, of the night 2 a.m about like you know something someone said and just wanting <laughs> to feel that they are truly a fit but honestly it, it takes that kind of detail and sometimes we've had to obviously remove people it happens but it's all about like fit right it's never yeah. like oh this is like a bad person it's just like is what we are offering aligned with their needs and it might not mm. be right and if it isn't then it's going to impact the experience for them but also for other members so similar to the hire slow fire fast obviously we're not firing them but it's a similar concept so totally it's, it's as if we're ha- we have a company of several hundred individuals who work for us and establishing a certain company culture is important do you think that that is necessary what you guys are doing to having a really strong community what encouraged you to start to take a more proactive active approach because like we were saying a lot of communities they just take a backseat the moderator is just never around kind of like is anyone paying attention you know and that- <laughs> I think there's no yeah. right or wrong it just depends on like what specifically you're looking to achieve and making sure that the community is designed in a way to achieve that I'm part of many other communities that have thousands and thousands of individuals part of it and it serves a purpose we also have a jobs platform that has nearly 35,000 individuals and because it's a lot more structured it's like this is what you post you just post a job there's a lot Mm -hmm. less needed but in our case 
it's that, you know what you talked about, right? Like I've met so many people, they'll be lifelong friends. If you saw on LinkedIn that you wanted to connect to someone, they happen to be a Dreamers and Doers member. If you re reached out to that person, that person would be like, oh my God, you're also a member. What can I do? How can I help you? Versus like if you were part of a 35,000 community, like that person would be like, you're who? Yes. But then at the same time, like that 35,000 community, the advantage there is that you have maybe much bigger reach. Although I will say that very big communities, like sometimes it's still crickets. Like you might post something and not ever, like a lot of posts don't actually get any engagement for online communities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you have to just keep chugging along. What would you say to people who question why it's female founders only? Yes. For one, I would say if there isn't a focus on it being female founded, the default is male in many cases. Mm. So if I go to a tech event and it's not like male focused, it will still female focused and, or even like certain office environments, they have a, a risky room, but not a lactation room. So that is one reason. And because right now in entrepreneurship and in tech, oftentimes women are in the minority. I think it's important to create a space where we can be in the majority because that allows us to make a bigger difference and a systemic difference. And to add to it, um, there's actually this fascinating study that was done with women in STEM and they looked at girls studying STEM in high school and they put them in three study groups. One was they were in the minority, one half of them were women and the other uh, majority was women. And when it was half or the minority, the women, the girls perceived their gender actually as a negative as it related to the subject. And that went away when they were in the majority. So even when it was half, that was the case. And there's just something about that. And there's also lots of studies in terms of how maybe women communicate and how social bonds and all of that, that, that I think just really makes a big difference versus us being in a default where we're in the minority. And I've Funny enough, a lot of our members, they some of them have male partners. And when they hear about Dreamers and Doers because the members gushing about it or just talking about the impact, we've had a lot of them say that their men are like a little bit jealous about what Dreamers and Doers is and that they can't join. But I do think that what happens when specifically women come together is a bit different when just men come together. It's just a different dynamic. And that's why um, yeah. female focused. Yeah, I agree with that. And where do you see the world of entrepreneurship going as it relates to women in entrepreneurship. What is your hope for the future? I think it's going to dramatically change. I've recently gotten into this hobby, for lack of a better word, where I would read up, I'm reading up on like how things were like during um, suffrage, so suffragette time. Sorry, sometimes my pronunciation is funny, but there's literally a time not too long ago, I'm going to say less than, or a little bit more than hundred years ago, where women that were, that would speak back to their husband would literally be submitted to a psych ward. And that was just normal. Or like women um, trying to, you know, fight for votes, like that was just not accepted. And I think in 50 years from now, in a hundred years from now, we will look back at this current time and we'll think it was so crazy how women weren't getting funded, how women were talked over, how women were getting paid less. And even I, I am realizing how indoctrinated I am socially. And so that's why it's interesting reading those articles because like at that time that was just normal. Women didn't vote, women didn't talk back. So I think that will shift oh, for women and men. So I, even though we're female focused, I love men, I'm married to men, I have a son. Like. Men have been <laughs> supporters and my personal supporters, so it's nothing against men. But I think it needs to shift both in the mindset of men and women to advance mm -hmm. women more. And entrepreneurship is so important because it impacts so many facets of society by seeing business mm -hmm. leaders who are women, by having more women 
um, own more of the capital and also launch products that are more specific to women that are overlooked by men. And what do you think it's going to take for men to change? I do think it's actually an equal amount of men and women needing to change. Okay. Um, the another part is um, it's lots of small things, lots of small and lots of big things. So it's not going to be like this one thing that's suddenly going to change it. But so we get born into the world and we get taught. I'm like into this right now because like I have kids, obviously, but like the reality we present to them, the little things like what does mom do? What does my dad do? What does seen on TV? How do the neighbors act? Who do I see at the store, the cashier versus who's the boss? Who do I see on the front page of Newsweek? Like all these little details, they add up. It's these changes like this podcast, our community, more business leaders being women, not putting up with certain things like not having parental leave. All these oh little God. small things are going to add up. It's structurally, it's thought leaders. All of that is going to um, add up. Even this interview is going to make a difference to changing the future that we have for our men and women. Yeah, those are excellent points because I agree with you. I see it too in, in my friends parenting now and just the style of parenting and even how kids are dressed and, and babies are dressed and setting that president even from the gecko of expectations and that nature versus nurture type approach and thinking about that, I think differently. I can see a lot of people taking that approach. I want to talk about the community a little bit because there's so many people right now that want to start communities and that want to build communities. It's such a hot topic. And a lot of people, I think, think that it's really easy because they just see people starting Facebook groups that it's like, oh, I'll just start a Facebook group and then I'll be done. But what does it really take to have a strong thriving community in addition to what you mentioned before like if someone listening was like I really do feel a pull toward this then what would you recommend that they do um, first to do it for the right reasons because it's so easy to see another community and it looks so active and oh I'm just gonna wing this and start a community of my own community building is rewarding but it's also really really hard it's also very emotionally draining if you do it properly so making sure that this is actually something you really want to do and you want to do for the right reasons so if you're doing it just to capitalize on it I think you will burn out and you are better off and you'll make more money doing something else. So make sure that you actually care. Um, then the second is give it some time. Like every community that you are able to see in action for sure has been around for a while because otherwise you wouldn't even get to see it in most cases. Like in our case, we have a very engaged community, but it took um, months for it to get to that point just because it takes time for it to happen very organically. And communities that are too forced, it's painful for everyone. Obviously you need a lot of leadership, but like there's a point where it's not, not meant to be for lack of a better word. So allowing to also some things to just happen and see what happens naturally is really good because then otherwise you run the risk of just having an audience, which there's nothing wrong with having an audience. So that's also good to define like, do you want an audience or do you want a community? And I'd say the main difference between the two is that in a community, your audience members interact and engage with each other and therefore create value. In an mm -hmm. audience, it's one to many and there's not usually engagement. And in some ways, an audience, you could say is easier. In some ways, it's harder. It really depends on your strengths and what you're looking to achieve. Not underestimating the operations. There's lots of details that go into that. So really allocating enough time for it. And what I'll also say is communities come in so many different shapes and sizes. So some advice that will work for one community doesn't always work for another community. So really being open to learning is, I think, more important for communities 
communities than other types of companies because mm. humans are so different and that's why um, they can vary so much. Yeah. And I want to touch briefly on the fact that as a community, you're constantly finding new and innovative ways to keep the conversation going. And one of the recent changes that Dreamers and Doers made was transitioning from Facebook groups to a different platform. And what really encouraged you to do that? So we've been wanting to move for a while. There's mm -hmm. advantages of Facebook. One, you can just set it up. It's free. And if growth is important to you, then Facebook is great because it's much easier to discover. Like we don't mm -hmm. actually have any discovery, I think, that's native. Oh, that's Google. a good point. Yeah. So that's that's a factor for us. One is with the limitation of features because Facebook obviously wasn't first and foremost built as a SaaS mm. product to community builders. It was right. so a lot of right. I mean, I will, to credit them, like they have heavily invested in it and they're heavily improving it, but it still wasn't enough for the high touch community we had. So one was the features and the second was there's lots of other distracting things on Facebook that would take away from our core experience. And the third part was ethical. So a lot of our members, um, a handful of members, at least like have canceled because of Facebook. And then there's a lot of others that wanted us to move away from it, either for ethical or for feature reasons. So we do an annual survey once a year. And for members who aren't like absolutely head over heels in Dreamers and Doors, the number one reason that comes up was Facebook. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we've been wanting to move for a long time. I've stalked and researched every single platform. And the issue was that none of them was at a point where I could actually guarantee that it would be an improved experience because I didn't want to move us all over and then actually have the features not deliver to what we actually wanted to do. And the moment we discovered Circle, we knew it was going to be the one, but we still waited eight months because there was a few things that we wanted them to launch. For example, the iOS app, um, it's the founding team of Teachable. So they have had some experience and it's really focused on the core type of community we are building. One community platform is called Mighty Networks, which is a big player. Mm -hmm. We wish we could have gone with that because it was female founded, but they are, for example, focusing more on course creators. So some oh, of interesting. And everything they're rolling out is not as focused on what's most important to us. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Cause yeah, Mighty Networks and Circle, they're two ones I feel like that I hear all the time. And I personally really like, for those of you guys listening and are in the same predicament or want to start a community, but not on Facebook, I actually really like Circle so far. I feel like the interface is really easy to use. And I like that I don't have to rely on Facebook as heavily because yeah. of the reason why I was going to Facebook. Facebook was for groups and still is to this yes, day. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Um, we, we heard a lot of people keeping their accounts just because of Dreamers. And yeah. A nice part with Circle is that you can completely customize. We can customize it, but also as a member, you can. So you can set up notifications that, like, let's say you don't want to live in your Circle app, understandably. You can get email notifications based on the areas that you're most interested in, which obviously is not possible on Facebook. Yeah, that's great. So coming out of 2020, obviously 2020, super stressful year for everyone. But we also saw this stats about female entrepreneurs and the funding and not great. I mean, not the trajectory I think that a lot of people were expecting. So what kind of advice do female founders and women in this entrepreneurial world, what kind of advice do you think they really need to hear right now from someone like you? My thesis is to not focus on individuals who just won't get it. And too often we bark up the wrong tree, for lack of a better word. So one, like, one great thing that has happened is there's lots of more female um, VCs popping up. There's actually a great newsletter called Femstry that will always announce if there's a new fund that's raised. There's a lot more that have like um, a diversity, like policy for lack of a better word. And obviously that shouldn't be the end goal that we only get funding from women, right? But I think too often do we really like try to fit a mold that never fit us. And some people just, no matter how hard we try, won't believe in us. And I think just not investing even in that. Um, identifying that um, for men, men and women, I think alternative funding sources 
institutions are totally under leveraged. And sometimes getting venture capital institutional funding too early is the demise of the company because it's very mm -hmm. distracting and it's growth at all costs. And sometimes you weren't there yet. So it's not a bad thing to go for, for example, equity crowdfunding or regular crowdfunding or debt financing or all these things. And sometimes that will make you a lot more successful. There's obviously companies like MailChimp and others that have become hyper successful being bootstrapped mostly. So it's, I think, thinking outside the box and like if the system won't change, there are ways that we can change the system ourselves. Oh, that was a mic drop moment. <laughs> Love that. Okay. So where can people find you? And then where can people find Jeremy's Endures? Um, me um, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. If you love real talk, I will get a little bit too honest sometimes. <laughs> okay. And I need to go check this out. <laughs> um, and it's all under my, all the same handle as in my first name and my last name, G-E-S-C-H-E-H-A-A-S. -E -E and for Dreamers and Doers, we're at um, Dreamers Doers. So no and in the middle, just Dreamers Doers. Actually on Twitter, we are Dreamy Humans um, and our website as well. And I do have to mention that we have a wonderful monthly newsletter called The Digest that you can sign up on our website if you just want to stay in the loop because we've been getting rave reviews on it. Oh my God, it's so good. Oh, you are part of it. Awesome. Yes. We, get, we curate like awesome resources for founders and just career driven women. Yes. When you, you know, when you have a good newsletter, when it's the one that someone scrolls through their inbox to find, and I find myself doing that with dreamers and doers, but it's hard. Those are, those are hard newsletters to find. Cause I think a lot of people just expect sales tactics at this point and not people actually wanting to empower other women. So it's great. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you so much. Oh, you guys, thank you so much Geisha for coming on the podcast. You know how much I adore you, and I hope you guys loved today's episode. We will include links in the show notes to Dreamers and Doers if you would like to check it out. Like I said, it's been life-changing for me, so definitely not like a paid sponsorship, paid promotion. I just am forever indebted to the community, so always happy to plug those when I can. And if you love today's episode, go ahead, give us a rating and review if you have the time. I appreciate it so much and it helps me get in front of more people as we continue to move this podcast forward. It's so exciting. Uh, and thank you so much for listening. I'm so grateful to you as the listener. You just brighten my day. I'm so excited to hear from you guys and it makes me super happy. So thank you for being here and I will catch you guys in next week's episode. Have a good one.